Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Game Changing Retail Leaders, presented by SAP, the best run SAP. You'll hear from the leaders who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to anticipate the future, recognize macro trends, and champion innovation in their organizations. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you're in the right place because this is where the best run. Let's see what the buzz on the street is today. I have a quote from Jesper Broden, the CEO at IKEA. This will set the stage for what we're going to be discussing. He says, quote, like most retailers, we don't know exactly where we will land at the end of it, but our curiosity and willingness to create will be a guide for us. I think that's very well put. So what are we talking about today? Okay, you've all read in the media, you've heard big people in the industry of retail say, the apocalypse is coming, the end of traditional legacy retail. You won't recognize what the landscape will look like in the next couple of years. Well, we have a panel of three experts who know their stuff. They're all in the industry and they say, uh, 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 we're not looking at an apocalypse. We're looking at a renaissance, and that has to be good news. Uh, we have heard that there are three parts to that renaissance. There will be technology-driven chaos. It will disrupt. It will interrupt. Some may be destroyed. Maybe those retailers needed to say bye-bye, and they weren't ready to do it, but it will happen. Part two, the fog of war will lift, and they will have clarity. How do they need to proceed? What kinds of business models did they need? Do they need to change their ways of doing business. The light will come through the fog. And the third part of that renaissance will be they will create the vision for their future and they will put in place strategies and they'll implement them and they will do it. And that will finish the renaissance. So I have three experts today. I'm so pleased to have them. They're all very busy and very smart and we're going to learn a lot from them. Let me tell you who they are and then we'll start off with their opening quote. So first up in a moment, I'll be welcoming a newcomer to SAP Game Changers Radio. His name is Stephen I, middle initial Sadov, but he told me I can call him Steve, and he is with JW Levin Management Partners, and he has a very interesting background in retail, some very big titles, and he'll be telling us where he comes from in a few minutes, so welcome to Steve. Joining him is Robin Lewis, who's been on this series from the start a couple of months ago, Robin. He's the founding partner at the Robin Report, a retail industry paper, Lots of news, lots of insights, and we're always very, very happy to have Robin on the show. And rounding out the panel is Lori Mitchell-Keller, who is at SAP. And Lori and I haven't spoken in a couple of years. She leads the sales and partner go-to-market strategy and execution as the co-president of SAP Industries, also somebody who really knows her stuff. So thank you so much to our three panelists for joining us. Now I'm going around the table to Steve Sadov, and Steve has sent us a quote I love the short quotes, Steve. They're really easy for me to read, and they really usually pack a punch. This is a quote from Jack Welch, John Francis Jack Welch, Jr., born in 1935. I call him a young man. He's an American retired business executive, author, chemical engineer, and you may know his name because he was the chairman and CEO of General Electric from 1981 to 2001, and while he was at GE, the company's value rose by 4,000%. When he retired, his severance pay of a mere $417 million was the largest such severance in history. Here is the quote, five words, write them down. Change before you have to. Steve Sadov, welcome to Game Changers. How are you? 
I'm doing great. Thank you for joining us, Steve. I love the quote from Jack Welch. Do you think these are words to live by for everybody in every industry today? Well, I think so, because uh, if you don't change, someone's going to change for you. Uh, in your opening comments, you use the word disruption, and mm-hmm. every industry that I can think of is going through a period of disruption. So that means change, and this is going to do it for you. And I think it's probably more relevant for retail than almost any other business because the magnitude of this disruption driven by technology, driven by changing shopping behaviors and a changing consumer is dramatic. So uh, it's a it's a signal, it's a sign that everybody needs to think differently. And if you don't do it, they'll do it for you. And you can just look at uh, the this, this story or the fortunes of a couple of retailers to indicate it. Look at an Amazon, which came out of nowhere and is now... Uh, uh, you know, dominating the uh, internet space. Half of retail internet sales are going through Amazon. And then look at some of the old line retailers uh, that have all gone by the wayside, like Toys R Us, who mm-hmm. didn't evolve and change. So uh, you can see how big a difference it is if you don't impact it. And I could, you know, we go through a list of those that have changed and they haven't changed. Steve, I'm always surprised when we hear a really big brand name, every part, part of almost every family's life, Toys R Us, right? Oh, I'm going to Toys R Us. Oh, we have a birthday party. Oh, it's time for Christmas. Let's go to Toys R Us. The giraffe, the logo, the store, the amount of merchandise, and then poof, gone. And those surprises, uh, I I think that there's probably a disappointment in the public that the retailer didn't fulfill their end of the bargain, meaning they didn't figure out how to stay in business. Do you agree with that? Well, they clearly didn't fulfill their part of the bargain, either to Mm -hmm. shareholders or to their employee base or to the customers, uh, consumers, because they didn't differentiate their product or their experience. If all you're doing is selling things that everybody else sells, then it's going to go to the lowest common denominator, which is price. And they didn't have the lowest prices. You can go to Amazon, you go to Walmart, other yeah. places. And uh, so they lost their reason for being. So you've got to really understand for every competitor, what's your reason for being? How do you differentiate yourself? And if you don't, then you're going to go by the wayside. Yeah, and we, we've talked about this on other episodes of the show. Robin knows very well we've spoken about this. But, Steve, one more comment before I go to Robin. It just occurred to me that retail never sleeps. Am I right? We, you talk about Amazon. You mentioned them several times. Retail is 24-7, 365, or however you're counting on any calendar. We're always looking or buying or shopping or browsing or showrooming something somewhere. It is never quiet. It is never, okay, it's Sunday, our store is closed. You have to have an online presence, most most parts of retail. So people are always, you really can't be asleep at the wheel, can you, in, in retail today, Steve? No, absolutely right. I mean, retail is the consumer. Think about two-thirds of the U.S. economy is the consumer, and that's retail. So uh, you've got to be, it's always changing. You've got to be there all the time. Now, there are success stories of companies that aren't on the Internet if you have something that's very unique and differentiated. But the word, and it's a buzzword now, uh, omni-channel, consumer wants products anywhere, anytime they want to be able to get them. And as a uh, retailer or anyone providing products, you've got to understand your consumer and be able to give it what they want when they want it. 
Thank you very much. Great insights and good kickoff to our topic. Steve, welcome. We're so pleased to have you, and we'll hear a little more about you and your, your background. I call it your pedigree when we go around the table in a few minutes and talk about what's in your cup today. Where are you, and what do you do? So thank you so much. Robin Lewis is waiting so patiently. Robin, you and I know you're not patient, and neither am I, so I'm ready for you. Robin has sent us... <laughs> That's what drives us, Robin. Come on. That's why we like each other. Robin has sent us Absolutely. a wonderful quote from Mark Zuckerberg. Mark Zuckerberg, Mark Elliott Zuckerberg, born in 1984. He really is a young guy. American tech entrepreneur and philanthropist, and we know he co-founded and leads Facebook. We're not going to get into any politics or what they're doing in the news, uh, but he was born in White Plains, New York, not far from where I was born in Queens, New York, but a couple of decades apart, attended Harvard, and he introduced Facebook from his dorm room on February 4th, 2004, and the rest is history goes see the movie The Social Network or download it or stream it and you'll find out the sort of story about how that happened. He is among the 100 wealthiest and most influential people in the world, according to Time Magazine, eight years ago in 2010. And December 2016, he was ranked 10th on Forbes' list of the world's most powerful people. Quite an accolade for a young guy. Here's the quote Robin has selected from Mark Zuckerberg. The biggest risk is not taking any risk. The only strategy that is guaranteed to fail is not taking risks. It's never a risk getting you on a panel, Robin Lewis. How have you been? I have been wonderful. And Good. Um, I'm very risky. <laughs> <laughs> but, but. Talk yeah, to me. I, I've gotten too I've gotten too comfortable being on the show, but I enjoy it so much. You're great, Bonnie. Oh, you're a dear. You're you're a, you're a dear for saying that. You're very kind. Now, talk to me about this quote, Zuckerberg. He's not in retail. He's he's not retail at all. But you picked such an interesting quote. Risk is the keyword. Talk to me. Yeah, I well, this kind of segues from Steve's comments. I mean, we all know Zuckerberg took a huge risk. Um, essentially not knowing at the end game how he was going to monetize his colossal idea. You know, all the experts in the beginning proclaimed he would not be able to sell advertising to a group of young people who would rebel against commercial invasion of their socializing. So, uh, well, he proved them wrong on one count, on that count. But the bigger issue, as we know today, which is really kind of frightening, is uh, for him is uh, this invasion of privacy issue, uh, you know, fake news and you know, election meddling. Um, mm -hmm. Anyway, the relevance to our topic, um, you know, I, I mentioned that there's four barriers to change, uh, leadership, culture, capital, and speed. Uh, to overcome those four barriers to the changes necessary to survive, what this is going to require is a whole bunch of risk takers uh, throughout the business, innovators, entrepreneurs, and so forth. So that's kind of the relevance uh, of Zuckerberg's quote. Thank you, Robin. And, and Robin, is apocalypse just a scare tactic? That was in my opening, and that's the title of our show, What's Up with Retail Apocalypse well, or Renaissance? Are we close to apocalypse? No, no. And and Steve and I discussed this at length with a bunch of other people. No, I mean, it's, uh, it, it, in fact, it, a renaissance is, is a good word to use because it suggests uh, we are moving at a whole nother level. Uh, it, 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 it implies a very positive 
thing, I think, and it should be. I mean, we're, we're going to lose a lot of businesses along the way here mm-hmm. uh, because of the horrible disruption. But uh, the, 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 on the other end, the survivors are going to have created uh, whole new business models that uh, are going to be terrific. I like that. Business models that will be terrific. We're going to hang on that thought for a moment. We'll come back around to you, Robin. Thank you. And thank you for your kind words. I appreciate it. Now let's turn to Lori Mitchell-Keller, co-president SAP Industries. Lori, it's been way too long since you've been on a show with us, and we're so happy to have you back. And Lori has sent a, I hate to say an adorable quote from Warren Buffett, but in a way it's adorable. (laughs) I never thought I would say that, Lori. Warren Buffett, I call him a young man, too, born in 1930. Forgive me. He sounds young to me. I'm nowhere near that era, but it still sounds young. Warren Edward Buffett, American business magnate, investor, speaker, philanthropist, chairman and CEO of Berkshire Hathaway, considered one of the most successful investors in the world. As of June 3rd this year, he is the third wealthiest person in the world at a network of U.S. $84 billion, and he, as part of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, is a philanthropist who pledged to give away 99% of his fortune to philanthropic causes. Very, very interesting. We won't talk about his politics. Here is the quote, Lori, <laughs> I'm sorry. Here, it's in, the, it's in the Wikipedia bio. I couldn't help but say that. Here's the quote. Predicting rain doesn't count. Building arcs does. Lori, welcome back. How in the world did you find this quote? It's fabulous. Talk to me. So I think it's really important just to have a, a, a prediction of the future, to be thinking about the future, but we never know what the future is going to hold. I mean, certainly the retailers that have gone by the wayside didn't necessarily predict the digital transformation, but if they had been prepared for it and had been really focusing on their customer, i.e. building their arc, focusing on the customer, focusing on what the customer's tastes are, what, how the customer is changing, I don't think they would have gone by the wayside. So although it's important to have a, a thought about the future, it's much more important to, to be asking the so what. What are the things that possibly could change? And being prepared for all of those possibilities as opposed to just one view of when is it going to rain. Thank you very much. Let's go to the, the word apocalypse. I was just asking Robin. He said, no, we're not an apocalypse. So if, if more retailers like Toys R Us had built that arc, Lori, might they still be here, do you think? They might still be here, Bonnie, and, and, and they might not, right? So it's hard to predict what might have happened. But I would a little say this. I think that Toys R Us had an opportunity to really be a long survivor, I mean, I don't think that retail stores are a ball and, and chain, right, as we mm-hmm. first thought, right? When the Internet first came out, it was like, oh, the physical stores are going to go by the wayside. It's all about the Internet. Well, actually, it's not because the amount of information you can gather from your customer, their tastes, um, their, the age of their kids, the thing that clothes that they wear tell you a lot about that customer. And if Toys R Us had begun to really pay attention to the customer and maybe create, you know, stations where you could experience different toys and things that appealed to moms while their kids ran around the the store and looked at toys. I mean, there's a lot of things that they could have done to endear their customers that they just totally missed. They just totally didn't do it. And so then, to Steve's point, it becomes all about price. Mm. 
Interesting. Okay. Well, thank you very much. And Laurie, did you agree with my opening about the three parts to the Renaissance, the disruption and chaos, the fog lifting, and then the actual strategies and implementation to a new business vision? Do you think that was on target? I think it's pretty on target. I mean, there is a ton of chaos that happens whenever there's a new technology or a new um, way of doing things. And, you know, the Internet was the beginning, but then how we used the Internet and how it gave people views on the world, that's what really created all of the chaos in terms of, oh, wow, I can get something different. Then people sort of thought, okay, well, it's not everything, right? You still need to be able to go and experience a store, and that's when the fog began to lift, and then the, those retailers began to think, okay, I made it through that chaos. Now what do I need to do to really endear my customers and to make sure I survive? Thank you very much, Laurie. Again, so happy to have you back. And now let's go around the table to Steve and Sadov. And Steve, you are up first, and we're going to find out a little bit about you. So I have three questions. Number one, where are you in the world today? If you're in a home office, I'd love to know what city or state or country it's in. Some people say, oh, I'm in my home office. And I say, well, exactly where is that in the world? I'm thrilled for them. So tell me where you are. Number two, we'd love to know what powers you in terms of a beverage. And it's 218 here in the east coast of the u.s it could be an alcoholic beverage because it's cocktail hours somewhere steve so what's your favorite drink in the whole wide world and number three tell us a little bit about who you are in your background and why you're such a leader in retail so go ahead steve sadoff well right now i'm sitting in an airport in boston massachusetts waiting for a flight to get back to new york so uh i'm uh after having been at a uh, some shareholder meetings today so uh that's where I am in terms of a drink. I'm actually drinking one right now, which is a uh, uh, iced tea. So, uh, and mm. it's a, a, not a non-alcoholic iced tea. And I love iced tea because you have so many different kinds of varieties and flavors and things that you can have within an iced tea. And it's uh, not too bad for you. And in terms of me, uh, I was the former chairman and CEO of Saks Fifth Avenue, the department store chain, having been in retail for a number of years. Uh, I had been on the board of Saks, and then the board asked me to run the company, and I ran it for uh, somewhere close to a decade, sold the company several years ago uh, to what is uh, now Hudson Bay Company. Mm-hmm. And prior to having been in retail, uh, spent about 27 years in the consumer goods world, uh, was one of the senior executives at what is now called Kraft General Foods, mm-hmm. uh, ran a number of divisions for them, and then ran Bristol-Myers Squibb, uh, the non-pharmaceutical businesses of Bristol-Myers Squibb, specifically the Clairol Company, the hair company, the Meat Johnson Baby Formula Company. We had a uh, beauty salon company called Matrix, uh, and along the way created a brand called Herbal Essence Shampoo, and had been on the We've heard of it. (laughs) Go ahead. So, uh, was on the Saks board when they were a public company, and then when we sold off some of those uh, Bristol assets, uh, Saks asked me to come into the company. And one thing led to another, and I've been very active, worked with Lori, in fact, uh, through the National Retail Federation, where I was chairman of that group and uh, still very involved in the retail industry uh, uh, in terms of uh, active role in Washington. And I'm uh, an engaged advisor today and uh, participant investor in the uh, retail space. We're very honored to have you on the show, Steve. Uh, very interesting to hear. And everything you've mentioned, of course, are, are well-known brands and well-known companies. So I know everybody is saying, 
Wow, how'd you get him for the panel? <laughs> We're very, very blame honored. Robin Lewis. Blame Robin for that one. I'm going to blame Rob. Robin knows all the best people. We know that, Robin. That's why we love you so much. Uh, Steve, are you optimistic? We're going to do predictions at the end of the show, but are you optimistic? We talk about renaissance, yes, business models, digital, the consumer is retail. Are you optimistic for, let's just say, for brick and mortar? Do you think they're still going to be around? Oh, absolutely. Uh the only thing I disagree with you is this whole fog lifting thing uh, concept okay. that you had. Uh, and the only reason I disagree, I mean, clearly there's fog, there's a lifting of fog, except I don't think it's an end point as a one-time thing. This retail is a history of change, consolidation, uh, disruption, and this is just another disruption, and we're only probably seeing the beginning of what it is, so that I don't think there's clarity at all. I, uh, I think we've seen one hint of what it's going to look like in the future, uh, but it's going to be a period of continuous uh, change. I'm enormously optimistic. Uh, as we sit today, the consumer is very healthy. We've got retail sales growing in the 5-6% range. Consumers are shopping. They're shopping mm-hmm. differently. They uh, want different things. The younger consumers are uh, different than the older consumer. Uh, but they're, uh, they love shopping and they love brands. So uh, we're in a period where I'm very optimistic for the future. But I clearly uh, believe that it's going to be different, and brick and mortar is going to be a part of it. You still have 80% or more of retail that's done in stores. And in fact, the internet companies that are very successful, most of them are now opening up stores. Because what the consumers, we talked earlier, want anything anywhere, wherever they want it and when they want it, and stores is a part of it. Yeah, and and I'll tell you, I I moved from New York. You mentioned you were trying to fly back to New York. I was in Great Neck, Long Island. I'm sure you're very familiar with it, Steve. I was there Mm -hmm. for the past 35 years, and I relocated 11 months ago here to Durham, North Carolina. And I was wondering, since I was able to walk a block away to a reasonable supermarket when I was in Great Neck. Here I wondered, how am I going to get my groceries? How far do I have to travel? I'm in a community. Well, 1.2 miles away is a brand new Harris Teeter. That's Kroger, what's left. I guess they're they're pushing their Harris Teeter stores. I have to tell you, this is like going almost to a multi-department store when I go to Harris Teeter, Steve. I couldn't find magnetic hair rollers, the, the kind with the little crunchies on the ends for my hair. They're in Harris Teeter. I can get medications in Harris Teeter. They have the biggest wine department you have in a beer. My, my daughter who lives nearby told me it's better than most of the retail liquor stores in this area. You go to Harris Teeter, you browse aisle after aisle of wine selections, cases and cases of beer. They even serve prepared meals at a bar <laughs> Monday through Friday, and people come and sit at the bar and have their dinner. They've got a fresh seafood department. They've got all the kinds of things you would find in a drugstore. They've got stuff you would find in a cosmetic store, all in a supermarket. So, Steve, just quickly, how does that help retail brick and mortar if a supermarket is offering stuff that I would have gone to five other stores for? Is that well, a good thing or a bad defi- thing? Yeah, but why are, why are we defining what a supermarket is? Uh, there you, there the you go. Purveyor of wine. They're the biggest purveyor of wine in the country. Yes. So uh, Walmart's changing what they're uh, selling. They're reinventing themselves. So, again... Each brand has to decide what it wants to be, what it wants to sell, who it wants to sell to, but everyone's that's the point in terms of reinventing. Who defines that a grocery store has to be the traditional uh, packaged goods types of uh, products? So, there you uh, go. And so Harris Teeter can be very uh, experiential, change who and how the consumer thinks about what they're buying there. 
There you go. Thank you very much. I appreciate the comments. And Robin Lewis, we want to know where are you? What is your favorite drink this week? I don't know what it was three weeks ago when you were on, but remind me. If you have a new drink, tell me what's keeping you and the Robin Report going and what's new with you and the Robin Report. Go ahead, Robin. Oh, it's kind of, uh, first of all, I'm in West Hampton Beach in New York, uh, which is wonderful because the sun is shining and uh, the weather has now uh, gotten rid of the humidity. So so I'm very happy to be here. Um, my favorite drink <clears throat> is, it's a little bit ridiculous, but, uh, and I can't have this drink too often or I've become a blimp. But it's a, it's a 1950s, and if some people are old enough to remember, a 1950s-style double chocolate milkshake. Uh, and made from scratch with, with three scoops of chocolate ice cream rather than two. Wow! I'm jealous. I'm <laughs> and, jealous. I just and, fell and, off my chair. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and made in one of those last-century metal shakers. Of course. You know, adding th- add, add three squirts of chocolate syrup and, and just enough chocolate milk to make it uh, drinkable versus scoopable. In other words, uh, a little <laughs> bit too thick. Uh, you know, after it's stirred in one of those old electric... Now, it is a ridiculous drink, and I can't... No, it's not. Have no, it's not. They said. It's but not ridiculous. It's... Middle. Robin, it's indulgent. It's fun. It's delicious. But I have to stop you. The chocolate syrup, I think, is the key to a good milkshake. What brand of chocolate syrup are you using? Be honest. What do you got? Well, this, this, this be Hershey's. Okay. <laughs> you know, the other the other option is Fox's You Bet, and they still make it, but they don't make it in glass jars anymore. David Fox of the Fox family lived in Great Neck Estates, and I was a reporter for the uh, Great Neck Record in 1998, and I profiled him as a new mayor, and he sent me a case of You Bet syrup as a gift for the article. Oh, be still my heart. Anyway, so Robin, tell us what's new. We'll let you have your drink after the show, and I'm very, 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 very jealous. Robin, what's new with the Robin Report? Okay, first of all, it's a B2B digital information platform covering all retail sectors. So every day we provide a strategic view on major events occurring in both the old and new worlds of retail and some related consumer products industries. So, you know, if you're one of our 28,000 C-level readers, who wants to know why Amazon will acquire Kohl's, for example, as a mm-hmm. prediction, or why Walmart will crush Amazon or become their biggest headache, or why Nordstrom is going private, local, and small. I mean, these are all conjectures, but, but that's the type of stuff that we, that we write about and, and run. So you'll, you'll find those answers on the Robin Report. We're brash. Uh, we're, we're in your face and outspoken, and, and we feel that's why we are unique. So um, in addition to that, I've co-authored a couple books, and I do some public speaking, and, um, you know, I've kind of failed upward. <laughs> <laughs> 
Anyway. Well, take take your chip of chocolate milkshake with you while you're failing upward because you're you're really right. uh, we're really enjoying you. Thank you, Robin. I can tell uh, we were going to call this show, I think, uh, game changing retail radicals, but uh, Stephen Steve Sparrow at mm-hmm. SAP decided to call it retail leaders instead of radicals. But I know that's one of your handles on Twitter, so I appreciate that. I want to make time for Lori Mitchell Keller. Let's find out, Lori, where you are, what you love to drink, could be anything, and what's new with you, Lori? Thanks, Bonnie. So um, I think it's more important about the cup than it is the drink. So I have a collection of cups from my favorite places. Um, Today I'm drinking uh, my favorite drink, which is blueberry white tea, and my cup of the day, which is a cup from Basel, Switzerland, where I went with my family to a hotel that had an indoor water park on our beginning of a drive-through Italy two-week trip. So I like to have the memory. So every day I get up and decide where I want to be, and that's the cup that I use. Um, Where I actually am today in Potomac, Maryland, it's about 20 miles outside of Washington, D.C. in my home office. Um, When I'm not traveling, I I have the luxury of working from my home office. And what's new with me is that, um, you know, I started out my career in supply chain, um, ended up at a software company, small supply chain software company that ended up at SAP and was doing supply chain. And then I got asked to run retail, ran retail for a few years at SAP, then ran consumer industries, which included retail plus consumer products and wholesale and life sciences. And then most recently in the past six months, I took over um, the majority of industries. So I'm co-president with another um, colleague and we um, jointly run all of SAP's 25 industries. So it's been a a really uh, fun time for me in terms of coming from retail and then retail and associated uh, areas to run and now, you know, many more industries that I am learning fast and furious and having a great time. Congratulations. So I'm glad. I know you don't have a cup. I do actually. Uh, we used to give out Game Changers radio mugs, Lori. There, there are about a hundred of them sitting in a warehouse in Phoenix, Arizona right now. <laughs> Maybe I'll arrange to send one to you so you can remember your time on the show. But I have to tell everybody you were talking about blueberry white tea, and I'm going to read what Adagio tea says. Very fragrant, likely freshly, like freshly harvested high bush blueberries, the aromatic variety. White blueberry tea is a customer favorite, delectable, delectable both hot or iced. It contains a low level of caffeine, steep at 180 degrees for three to five minutes. Is that the one, the tea? Yes? It's delicious, yes. And white tea is sort of like baby green tea, so it has even more antioxidants than green tea. So I feel healthy as well as it tastes delicious. You're oxidated with your favorite cup. I'm, <laughs> connect with me on email and we'll get an address. I, I have to have somebody ship you a mug after what you said. Come on, we need to be part of your cup. And they're, they're big and they're gorgeous. It happens to have my name on it, but that has nothing to do with it. <laughs> Branding is everything. Thank you, Laurie. Uh, I have news for the three of you. We're not taking a break because we're having too much fun. And I, I, there's no need to go out for 90 seconds because we have so much to talk about. But Robin knows this. Laurie doesn't remember. Steve never knew. Steve, they they don't let me anywhere near caffeine on radio show days. I think you figured out why by now. And this is a two-show day. I had one at 10 o'clock, no, 11 o'clock this morning, and, and this one now we're almost 3 p.m. Eastern. So no caffeine for me. It's just water, cool, clear water in a cool, clear mug with a yellow straw because we are oh, looking like we're going to get another rain squall here in Durham. It's like Florida weather, 20 minutes raining and then sunny for three hours, and you just never know anymore. So we're talking, if you're just joining us, we're talking about what's up with 
retail apocalypse or renaissance, I think we've decided hands down and face up that it is going to be renaissance. We're talking today with Steve Sadov, Robin Lewis, and Laurie Mitchell-Keller. And Steve, I'm looking at your notes you sent me before the show, and I'm just going to put a bunch of statements together because I think they tell a story and have you talk about it for about two minutes, and then we'll invite Robin in for his position on this, and then Laurie, and then I'll go to something from Robin's list and from Laurie. So that's what we're going to do, a little different than usual. So here are some real words of wisdom from Stephen Sadov. He says, retail is going through a period of reimagination. Nearly every sliver of the retail ecosystem should or must evolve. That's the first sentence. The second statement is focusing on any one channel is a losing proposition. And the third, speed is critical when it comes to reimagining your ecosystem, but regular check-ins and milestones are critical. You can't wait until the next fiscal. Steve, wonderful thoughts. Can you tackle any or all of these for us, please? What, what would you like to share with us? Well, I mean, the pace of change is so dramatic. Uh, the consumer is moving. I think that, you know, one of the things that you find is that the uh, uh, every retailer I talk to thinks that they're changing quickly, but then you talk to the consumer, and the consumer says that they're not changing as uh, fast as they are. So, mm-hmm. the, so we have to use that mindset that you've got to do things very differently. So what does that mean? If you're an Internet-only retailer wild success over the last few years, that in and of itself isn't going to let you win in the future. So that's why you start to say, how do I now start to take advantage and open up stores? And you're starting to see a lot of innovation, things like Amazon selling their products in Kohl's, Warby Parker and stores like the internet, companies like that opening up stores. So everything is moving from one channel to another channel and it's meeting what the consumer wants, which is uh, uh, things when and where they want it, as we talked before, but at a pace of change that's much more rapid uh, than we've ever seen. It used to be that things went slowly. Well, the problem is there's so much information. You have instant access to everything. You know, if I walk into a store and I look at something that's a new television set and I look at the price, I instantly, if it's something that's uh, uh, available widely, I just go to an app and I can compare prices in a second. So what do you do? You can't, you have to think, how am I going to be competing in this new kind of an environment? So you've got to have systems, information, uh, data that is very different than you used to have. I think Lori's company uh, and others that have are providing the frame and the infrastructure to allow companies to compete in this new world or the analytic companies that are allowing uh, customers to be understood better. You know, my grandfather was a little mom and pop shop a hundred years ago, and they used to uh, know their customers one by one, and they bought to that one customer. Well, in today's technology, you can understand every one of your customers and buy differently. You're not doing everything in a mass anymore. So these are the kind, those words that I talk about, revolution, evolution, doing things at a speed of light is because that's what the consumer is doing. Thank you very much, Steve. I want to see what Robin has to say about this. Robin, agree or disagree on the speed, on the, I love the word, Steve, the term reimagination. It sounds like getting people together around a campfire somewhere or some kind of ideation, uh, brainstorming, we used to call it, and having them dream, reimagining what would their store look like, what would their retail presence, their brand, what channels. So, Robin, what are your thoughts on this? Reimagination and speed. Yeah. Yeah, I, I first of all, the the um, you know to to um, 
<laughs> I, have, I agree with everything Steve said, and and I know you hate to have everybody agree. With no, everybody. it's okay. It's okay. But, but I do. I I would say that um, as I said, one of my four pillars of our barriers uh, to change is speed. And I would add agility to that. And as Steve said, the pace of change, and I would totally agree. I talked to a lot of these CEOs, and they do believe they're changing quickly enough. But he's right when you talk to consumers. And so um, I think one of the things that um, these CEOs need to do, and that's another thing that Steve touched on, is, you know, if we get stuck in the mud of identifying retailers as a retail store, it's a mental barrier because we, mm-hmm. we immediately, when you hear retail store, you envision a big building full of stuff. And we, we, we can no longer think that way. They've got to extract that from their mindset and, and get their people to do the same so that they can move forward and better understand the, the fact that there are all kinds of distribution platforms out, out there. Amazon would not call themselves a retail store. They call themselves a marketplace mm. upon which anything and everything in the world and anybody can operate on it, in it, uh, even even competitors. So if a, a Kohl's, for example, needs to start to think that way, and I believe their new, new CEO does because they have invited Amazon to put shops in Kohl's. Obviously, the, fir- the first low-hanging fruit is it will increase traffic among the young consumer, which mm-hmm. it has. But it also gives Amazon uh, 1,155 locations for consumers to come and, and pick up what they've ordered online. Amazon is also manning those shops with their own people, and they make appointments with consumers to go to their homes and educate them on how to set up their smart devices and so forth. Um, so, so they are viewing themselves as a distribution platform. They're also talking to um, LD grocery stores to uh, to collaborate with them, bringing grocery into holes. So that's one example of, of an old world retailer redefining, getting rid of the word retail, redefining what they have mm-hmm. there. They've got a platform. Uh, you know, Nordstrom is beginning to think that way. I think they started even before Kohl's. Uh, Target is, is viewing it as, as the same, in the same way. I think that's one um, aspect of what they have to do going forward. The other thing about reimagining, um, I totally uh, agree with that. Uh, but just imagining and, and new vision isn't enough. Implementation is everything. Steve and I remember uh, CEO Ron Johnson, infamous Ron Johnson, who almost uh, buried J.C. Penney. Uh, in my opinion, and I was maybe one of the few, I believe his imagination and his vision was correct uh, for the changing the department store model. But his Im- implementation uh, on, on a scale of 1 to 10 in failure, he was a, 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 a 15. Anyway, so that those are a couple little added points there. 
Thank you very much, Robin. I want to get Laurie in here. Laurie, thoughts about reimagining, about speed, agility? Robin added that word. What are your thoughts? Yes, I I think that there's two particular points um, in the discussion so far that I really um, like. One is about uh, moving at the speed of light, but also having milestones and checkpoints. Because I think many retailers realize that they need to do something different, and they start an implementation of some systems or start an implementation of a new customer experience, and they don't continually check in and see if it's actually having the effect that they want as opposed to, you know, some annual report where they're reviewing everything. There needs to be constant uh, checkpoints. In the reimagining space, um, you know, I think that we've been talking about this in the market for a while. And when I think about reimagining, I'm thinking about you need to think what is the end goal that you want with your customer. A lot of times um, at my company we implement a, a process that we call design thinking, which is all about where do you want to be? What is the end goal that you want? And it has to start from the customer. How do you want the customer to view you? How do you want the customer experience to be? What do you want the customer to walk away with when they leave your store or leave your site? And from there, you can sort of back engineer what mm-hmm. needs to happen within your company. What processes do you need to put in place? How do you need to change your supply chain? How do you need to, um, you know, help your employees. I honestly think that employees are an excellent way to um, help your customers to understand your culture. And if those employees are engaged and you've given them tools and you you know, have done the right training, then a happy employee translates into a happy customer. But you have to really start at what do you want to be What from a customer's perspective and then back engineer it or reverse engineer it to figure out what are all the changes that you need to make. So those are the two particular points that really resonate with me. I couldn't agree more. I, I From my own personal experience, and I'm guessing the three of you, three esteemed panelists today would say the same thing, there are too many times you walk into retail, wherever it is, freestanding store, mall, whatever, mini mall, and you're not treated well or you're not acknowledged or the person isn't helpful or they don't know what they're doing or they're rude or they're busy or they just ignore you. And today I'm saying to myself, this represents their brand and it's not representing them well. And I don't want to do my money there. I don't want to leave my money there. I don't want to spend my money there. I don't want to waste my time there. I will walk out and I will not go back. And I will not go on Yelp and trash them or flame them. But right. at the same time, these are choices. I had it happen at a, uh, a car dealer. I needed a, a small repair to my convertible. And I walked in and two people walked past me for three minutes. Nobody said, hello, welcome, how can I help you? They simply just walked walked past me, just left me standing there. I had to go find them to ask them for help. Unacceptable. Not today anymore. Unacceptable. So we we are, I think uh, you started out, Steve, as saying re- the customer is retail. You're absolutely right. I think that's the biggest change is we don't feel that we have to put up with you know what anymore, no matter where they are. Am I right, Steve? Oh, absolutely. You know, the one word that Lori threw in, which we haven't talked about much at all, is culture. And mm-hmm. Go it's ahead. an important one because you need a fun, not so much, uh, I, I think what you need to have is a cultural change within these companies. One of them, you use the word service, and a service mentality is critical. 
But mm-hmm. most of think about who runs a lot of retail companies, the employees who have been around a long time. Yes. You need to fundamentally change the culture of these companies to embody this kinds of traits that we've been talking about, speed, agility, things. These are very different than what a lot of the people grew up with. And leadership is what drives that kind of cultural change. And you need mm-hmm. different kinds of leadership than we've had in the past in this industry. Exactly the right. Prince. Used to be about someone who just was a product uh, expert. Now it's a very different yep. kind of leadership that's required. Robin, go ahead. I hear you. Talk. Yeah, just to add on to what Steve is saying, you know, the, the, these cultures uh, were born to operate in a pre-tech and pre-internet world. Um, you know, retailers bought wholesalers goods and sold them to consumers who came to their stores to shop and buy. Um, so a, a very highly structured marketplace grew and grew in size, solidity and rigidity. So, uh, you know, we, we had supply chain silos uh, where functionaries did the work that they learned to do in, to, to, in moving the product to the next silo, if you will. So, yeah, fiefdoms grew along with what I call sclerotic bureaucracies. Mm-hmm. And, and anything new or different in terms of change, uh, these old world cultures would say, hey, wait a minute, uh, this is the way it's always been done. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, whammo, enter the technology revolution, and overnight these antiquated cultures and structures are rendered useless. So these old battleships, like I call them, um, they've got to become agile, quick, demassified. Uh, if they're to survive, and 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 they've got to do it fast. But that, is, but but Steve's right. The culture is probably the biggest, and it takes enorm- It takes great leadership mm-hmm. to do that. Absolutely, it also I, takes I, I, yeah. vigilance and being present right. and knowing what's going on. That to me is you. You have to know where your people are and what they're doing, and, and have a window to see what the culture, how the culture is behaving. If they're not all at headquarters, if you're spread out all over the country or the world, who are the people you're hiring? How are you training them? How are they? How are they living your culture? Am I right, Steve? You got to be vigilant oh, about this. Oh, absolutely. You've got to be visible. You got to be vigilant. But it takes a vi- vision. It takes uh, a lot of hard work and communication putting the right team together. Mm -hmm. I look at an example, and it doesn't have to be a small uh, company. I look at something like a Walmart, where Doug McMillan bought Jet.com. Everyone's critical of him paying $3 billion for it. He brought Mark Laurie and his team, and they've been fundamentally changing the culture of Walmart and doing things in a very fast, aggressive way. So I look at that as a terrific example of a big company that's been able to start changing their culture. Absolutely. Go ahead, Laurie. I think that's... I think that the, the, the point that I mentioned about the employees really being the last bastion of that culture to be able to communicate it to and to customers, I mean, if we think about customers' desires, they haven't really changed that much. Yeah, it's become much more fast and, uh, you know, using your smartphone and, and buying on the Internet. But back to, you know, Steve's grandpa's mom and pop shop, right? They knew everybody that came into the store. They mm-hmm. knew what those customers bought. They had a new product that they thought, oh, you know, Mrs. Williams will like this. I'll call Mrs. Williams and help her to understand it. <laughs> but the desires of the customer are still exactly the same. They want to feel special. They want to feel unique. Yes. They want to feel valued. They want to feel like you know something about them and to Steve's you know point earlier as well it's possible today with giving your employees and arming your employees with the right technologies that they can understand what that customer bought 
uh, you know, before when they walked into the store or what they bought on the Internet and what they bought in the store. So I just, you know, bought a lovely red dress and I'm going to go online and, and buy the accessories. But, you know, if I if the employee knew that, that I was going to buy the accessories, why wouldn't they have that conversation with me, right, based upon my past behavior? So I think that although the function has changed in terms of using uh, smartphones and other things, the desires are the same and that culture of your employees and the culture of the company has to be focused on how do we make our customers feel special? How do we di- differentiate ourselves by the way we treat our customers? Absolutely. I'm, I'm going to throw in one more Harris Teeter story. I think you'll all appreciate this, especially, uh, uh, well, I guess all of you from big cities Coming from New York, I know that you unpack your grocery cart when you go to the grocery store. You put everything on the on the belt and the conveyor belt, and the the uh, checker sort of disinterestedly throws it on the, the the scanner and it finds a bar. And if it doesn't, they get annoyed. They have to hand type in input the 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 bark code number, whatever it is. Well, here in North Carolina, you do not touch your groceries. You bring the card up. You give them your little ID card for the store. What do they call it? A, a loyalty card. It goes into the scanner the first thing and they greet you. You push your card up and you go to the other side by the cash register. They take everything out of your cart for you. They bag it. They ask you if you, if you have your own bag, if you want plastic or paper. They ask you if you found everything okay that you were looking for. If you're in the middle of shopping and you find somebody anywhere in the Dell in the fish department, in the, the grocery department, in the wine department, and you can't find something, and you find a store person, a representative, and say, I'm looking for XYZ, they will walk you to that section. I'm not kidding you. They will walk you to that section and help you find the exact item, and then make sure you're okay, and they'll go back to their post. Steve, does that happen in the Northeast ever? Tell me the truth. Ever? Of course it does. Of course it does. It's not <laughs> I've been in the wrong stores all these years. <laughs> you know, you just got to find the right store, but that's what's, you know, I, I think Lori's point is absolutely right. Well, your point, which is what the consumer wants is they want the products that they want. And they want this experience and service they want. That's and right. that's what they, that's what retail's always been about and how they get those two things becomes different over time. And when you find a great experience like Harris Teeter that you have, then you're going to have loyalty and you're going to go back and it's not just going to be about price. They probably charge a little bit more for their fruit and vegetables than somewhere else, except because you have that experience that you like and you're passionate about, then you're going to go shop there. Absolutely. And you know what? We're almost, oh, we're at our, you know what? We're going to have to, I'm going to have to talk to Steve Sparrow about doing a part two with the three of you because there's just so much to talk about. Lori, I wanted so much to talk about. Uh, it's not about chasing the next shiny object. You say there's legitimate <laughs> buzz about voice commerce being the next frontier and how consumers interact with brands. Lori, you know what? I'm going to start the crystal ball predictions round with you because I didn't get to this in your notes. Why don't you make this part of your prediction? I'm going to give you each 90 seconds. We have to keep it really, really tight because we're almost done. Lori, talk about this voice commerce. I, I'm not sure I even understand what it is. Give me your prediction about whether this is going to happen or not. Steve, I'll come to you next with your prediction on anything in retail. We'll wrap up with Robin and then we'll get out. So go ahead, Lori, you're up first. Yeah, so voice commerce is essentially the Alexa, right? You're talking to the the device and they're ordering for you or they're doing something for you. That's what voice commerce is about. I do think, if I look into my crystal ball, that there will be another fog, if you will, and then another period of chaos where we're moving away from just digital and Internet and moving more towards voice commerce. And I don't know that we can 
predict everything that's going to happen with voice commerce, but I can envision where you're in a store and you're asking for an item and you do it via voice and somebody speaks back to you where the item is. You don't have to find that um, grocery employee, for instance. So I think that there will be a lot more reimagining of what happens with new technologies that are coming, like voice commerce, like Internet of Things, like machine learning, and we'll just roll with it and keep going. Thank you very much. Great prediction. Appreciate this. We have to get the three of you back. There's just too much to do in one hour. Steve Sadoff, I'm ready for you. I can give you 90 seconds. What's your prediction, Steve? Well, I like Lori's predictions in terms of some of the change. I just add another one, which I think we're in the infancy of the role of uh, analytics in better understanding the consumer. And I think the power of going back to that understanding each consumer, what they want, when they want, where they want it, and being able to provide the kinds of products is going to re- yield a enormous change in the economics and the P&Ls of retailers. Think about the inefficiencies of the markdowns, the gross margin uh, deterioration because you bought the wrong stuff. Being able to buy the right stuff, being able to provide the customer what they want is going to change the uh, how retail works. And the economics are going to change. I think that uh, the voice the kind of voice shopping that uh, Alexa provides, that's going to change. It's going to think about who do they, uh, when they say, I want a uh, toilet paper, which brand is going to get chosen. I mean, there's all kinds of implications coming out of this. My prediction for retail is that it's going to continue to be healthy and that mm-hmm. it's going to continue to change. And it's going to be an exciting time for uh, all of us. And I'm glad I'm not one, running one of these companies anymore because it's going to be a tougher <laughs> job than it's ever been. There you go. That was interesting. Thank you, Robin. I heard you laughing. Robin, I'm ready for your prediction. I've got 90 seconds for you. Well, go ahead, Robin. I know. As, as, as Steve knows, that's why I have no stress, because I'm, I'm happily observing all of this chaos and writing about it as opposed to having to operate in it. But, yeah, real quickly, uh, I see four retail models in the future. Uh, one, obviously, the Internet, mobile, and, 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 and I, yeah, voice commerce is going to become stronger and stronger. And I think eventually we're also going to see video commerce. I don't know how that works, but so you'll have video and voice and, uh, you know. Uh, what percent of the total it will end up being, it depends on the category. And at this time, I think that's anybody's guess. Uh, certainly commoditized basic categories will account for a huge percentage of the total of digital the second retail model, uh, uh, small is beautiful. Uh, it's mm-hmm. written, it's in our co-authored book. We see a landscape of neighborhood boutiques and small shops like Nordstrom testing its Nordstrom local, intimate, personalized. Back to Steve's grandparents' shop, the owner knows everything and everybody. Um, they'll have events, uh, wine, cheese, coffee, beer, always accessible. The third model, uh, big, will be turned into small by converting the big box retailers and the weak malls out there into mixed-use uh, communities, kind of as social gathering places. They'll have leased and operated small shops, salons, movie theaters, fitness centers, restaurants, farmers markets. Uh, you mm. get it. It's going to be a destination for, for people to hang out. Uh, fourth model... Uh, treasure hunts like Costco, TJ Maxx, where you're going to have big locations where there is rapid and innovative uh, insertions of special stuff for incredible prices. And throughout all four of these, um, 
They're going to be sharing models, swapping, renting, pre-owned, and subscription models. So that's kind of how I see the landscape. Robin? You've outdone yourself. Thank you very much. That's enough for three shows, predictions-wise. I want to thank the three of you, Stephen Sadov. I I hope you have a great flight. I hope you get to New York on time. Tell everybody I said hi. I'm not coming back. Robin Lewis, keep on being radical and keep on observing the industry. And Laurie Mitchell-Keller, keep on expanding your industry purview. And I hope you will all three come back. I really appreciate it. We've had some great insights today. And we have, I think we've come to a conclusion that retail is not not in the apocalypse. It is in the renaissance, growing and thriving, but has to look out for new business models, keeping track of networks and ecosystems. What does the customer want? What is the consumer looking for? And just keep reimagining yourself and be there. That's about all I'm going to say. Shout out to Stephen Sparrow. Again, a beautiful job putting this together and Kelly Cockshaw at SAP for her support and Aaron at World Talk Radio, our engineer on the Business Channel. Thank you very much. I've got 30 seconds to wrap up. So here we go. In your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Stephen Sadoff, just like Robin Lewis, and just like Lori Mitchell Keller. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. I'll be back 10 a.m. Eastern tomorrow, Thursday, the something. I guess it's the 23rd of August. Who can keep track? I don't even know what year we're in anymore. It's going so fast. Be back with Consumer Industries talking about life sciences tomorrow. You don't want to miss it. 10 a.m. Eastern, right here on the Business Channel. Have a great day, everyone. Bye bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Game Changing Retail Leaders, presented by SAP. The best run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.